Cars, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour or perhaps more as we discuss everything racing from this past weekend. Before we get into that, let me introduce you to the panel I have assembled for you tonight. With me as always, Mr. Gray Warren from Richard Childress Racing. Gray, how are you tonight? Good evening, guys. Great to have you here, Gray. Joey Barnes, writer for IndyCar.com and managing editor at Motorsports Tribune, is in the house as well. Joey, you're all riled up and ready to chat tonight, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Speaking of riled up and ready to chat, Mr. Richard Uden, also from Richard Childress Motorsports, is here with us. Richard Childress Racing, always want to get your team name wrong. But, uh, Richard, how you doing this evening? I'm very good, thank you. Hope everybody else is good, too. All right, so... Uh, uh, this weekend, we had a NASCAR Monster Energy Series at Charlotte. Um, the Petit Le Mans was run down in uh, Road Atlanta, where we saw the debut of the uh, Penske Acura team. And Formula One was over in Japan um, for the Japanese Grand Prix. So uh, let's, uh, let's start off with Charlotte. Um, no new news. <laughs> you know, Martin Truex wins again. Um, it, not as dominating fashion as uh, as we saw him the last uh, the last time I remember winning winning at Charlotte, but uh, a good run for um, Truex. I mean, his sixth win of the year. Uh, that team continues to soldier on and really set the standard for the for the rest of the guys there. So, uh, uh, Gray, um, what are your thoughts coming out of Charlotte here? Yes, yeah, Charlotte was a, was was sort of a strange weekend. Uh, uh, was affected by a little bit of weather. The uh, the uh, Xfinity race was delayed, and uh, of course the uh, the Cup race ran under a cloud uh, the whole time. We didn't know if we were going to even get it off, uh, and it looked like a Monday or Tuesday at one time might be the the best days to run the race. But the the wet broke, and uh, they were able to get the race in. Uh, very poor crowd uh, there. I think uh, you know. Uh, Charlotte has been challenged with attendance over the last couple of years, but I think too that the uh, the, the weather uh, hurt a lot of their walk-up crowd this particular time because it was uh, looked rather rather ominous at, uh, throughout the morning and 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 during the uh, early part of the race uh, looked like it would rain any minute, but that we were they were fortunate enough to be able to get it in. Um, it was uh, you know again like you said another Martin Truex show. Uh, Martin's just proven that that team is. Uh, is the class of the field this year. They, they, there was their sixth win of the season. Uh, they didn't do it, as you said, in dominating fashion, 
but uh, and they started about 17th and they had to climb through the field and they and they eventually worked their way to the front uh, by the uh, by the end of, well let's see the, during the, the you know I think they made their way in well inside the top five uh, by the end of the second stage and then he really asserted himself uh, in, in the last stage and took the lead and essentially for the most part was unchallenged the rest of the way. Uh, good runs for uh, for some guys there. Uh, Kevin Harvick ran ran pretty strong there. Uh, he led the most laps of the race. Uh, I think he led four times for about 149 laps, uh, far more than anybody, and uh, looked at times to have the dominant car. He faded a little bit in the in the in the final stage of the race. Ended up uh, finishing third. Good run for uh, for Chase Elliott. He finished second in all three stages and second overall uh, during the race. And in fact, uh, the top seven cars uh, in, in the race were all play, current playoff contenders. So, and then we had Hal Bush uh, suffer some misfortune. Uh, he hit the wall and then uh, had several spins uh, after that. He damaged the, uh, the deck lid on his car and uh, made it a handful of drive, I'm sure, for the, for the remainder of the race. But he... He did so drawn and, and did finish the race some four or six, four to six laps down. So he's got uh, he's got some ground to make up uh, uh, Kyle in the had next a, race. Kyle had a really tough day. Uh, you know, after they damaged the car, there was I'm not sure exactly why, but he was he was getting a higher level of carbon monoxide in there, and, and it was hot to begin well, he he with at the race. Well, he, yeah. Um, and knocked the crush panels out of the car. Right, a right. Lot, so yeah, he suffered he, damage like it, and obviously that that. The, the carbon monoxide and the exhaust fumes were seeping up into the interior of the car. So, yeah, that's that's sometimes that's that's a tough thing to do. And then too, his car, he liked a lot of downforce because he pretty much knocked the knocked the deck lid askew, and, the, and of course that that moved the uh, the, the spoiler over. And uh, he it was the car was a handful. Uh, there was there was uh, you know one major incident in the race early on about the, the, with about forty laps in. Uh, Ryan Newman uh, and um, Clint Boyer got together, uh, coming off turn two, and and crashed. And that, of course, that ended uh, Ryan Ryan Newman's day, in which probably had, they had a little bit of a prom- little bit of promise for the 31 car. They had uh, they had been running pretty good throughout practice and qualifying, had a decent starting spot, and uh, were, were were expecting a good run that day. But again, there we go, Martin Truex really. You know, uh, I, I, he asserted himself again, and he's, uh, you know, put out that put it out there that the '78 team is going to be the team to beat. You know, with the win, they solidly advance to uh, to the next stage of the playoffs, uh, and we'll, we'll you know we'll go to Talladega for the second uh, second race of this stage. And we all know Talladega is a wild card. And you can expect anything there. So, you know, all bets are off when they go there. We're just going to have to see, uh, you know, what strategy each each of these playoff teams uh, decide to play. Are some of them going to be conservative and uh, just try to survive? Or are others going to go in and, and, and try to stay up front all day and, and, and steal a win? So, uh, you know, Charlotte, like you said, oh, there was one controversy out of Charlotte. I guess everybody saw that with the – the Jimmy Johnson pit stop where, um, and a lot of, you know, drivers and fans have spoken out about that. 
typically when you pit outside of your uh, pit box and work is done on the car, uh, it's a it's uh, it's a penalty. It's a one lap penalty. Uh, you you have to come back to the pit area and sit in the pits for one lap before you can return to the track. In this instance, uh, Jimmy Johnson came down the track. They had a uh, had a tire change, and uh, they didn't get all the lug nuts on. As he pulled away from pit road, Chad told Jimmy to stop. The uh, the the nose of the car, in fact, the whole whole front of the car was in, in the next pit uh, forward, and uh, the tire changer went out and and tightened, made sure the lug nuts were tightened. Uh, NASCAR chose not to penalize Jimmy Johnson, saying that it was a safety issue and that Jimmy uh, was was serving a penalty of sorts because he stopped anyway and had to uh, extend the service on the car. So it's kind of, uh, you know, the rule book says one thing, and NASCAR kind of, you know, says, well, we've discussed this earlier on, and this is how we decided to do it. And it's caused a little bit of a little bit of furor this week, you know, in some of the discussions. And, uh, of course, there again, you know, uh, the one thing consistent about NASCAR is in inconsistency. So <laughs> I was just going to say that, Gray, but you beat me to it. <laughs> that's just one, 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 one other story coming out of it. And, and Richard, uh, Richard, did you uh, hear of any penalties come out of uh, NASCAR today? There was uh, there's three penalties uh, that I uh, saw coming from uh, this weekend. I believe uh, two. Of- for uh, Joe Gibbs-backed um, cars, uh, one in Xfinity and one in the Cup, it was, let me just check this, uh, sorry, it's the 19 car earlier I said off air, it was the 20, but in fact, the 19 car had uh, lug nuts not properly installed, that old, uh, that old favourite, uh, $10,000 fine for the crew chief, which will probably be paid by the team, uh, they probably, you know, it's it's a it's a silly penalty because at the end of the day, you've got, you've got to work out, you know, if you only put four lug nuts on, you know, that could save you a period of time on pit road and that can win you a race. That's worth a lot more than $10,000. Anyway, yeah. um, from, um, I guess from Gray and myself, our, our point of interest uh, on the Xfinity side of things where we had two cars uh, in, in the playoffs and Hamrick is, is comfortably into uh, into the next round of the playoffs. But Brendan Gorn was, uh, was playing and one of the guys he was racing against was uh, Matt Tift in the 19 car. Post-race, they actually found that, they're, uh, that they failed on inspection heights um, and they had an encumbered finish, um, although that was only a deduction of uh, 10 driver points and 10 owner points. And the, uh, he'd, he had, I think he was 16 points ahead of Brendan Gunn, so he still gets through on a, on a six-point cushion there. But um, a little bit unclear exactly, again, as to what encumbered means and, and how they police those... Uh, those regulations, um, and then um, the 11 car as well, who was also in the playoffs, um, Blake Coke, um, they had a very, very difficult day, unfortunately, they had a steering pump issue, and uh, they actually did an incredible job to get the uh, get the car back onto the lead lap in the final sector of the, uh, of the Xfinity race, but um, they had the similar uh, penalty as well. And oh, by the way, uh, Ryan Blaney won that extended race uh, in, in pretty much a dominant in dominant fashion. So that pretty much puts the wrap on Charlotte. Uh, yeah. so and of course, that was the last one. One further thing before we before we move on, 
that was the last race, the last uh, fall race on the Oval at Charlotte. Next year's fall race will move to the road to the road course. And if anybody saw, sorry, if anybody saw the TV coverage of um, either of the practice sessions on Friday, that is all they talked about on TV. I mean, it was almost embarrassing. It was like, did anybody mention there's a road course there next year? Um, obviously, they're trying to sell it quite hard, and uh, you know, there's a test coming up there. I believe the test next week or the week after. Uh, and uh, you know, they've the, the made some changes from what the original design was. They put that um, chicane on just before the start finish line, um, and then they're also putting a chicane on the back on the back stretch as well. So it has changed a little bit from what uh, the original drawings were but uh hopefully it'll be a you know it looks like a decent lap and yeah, people it, get it looks decent yeah but they i mean they were so excited about the artificial turf down there too it's like oh it's like, me, yeah. so it's like okay so so what <laughs> you know this is i mean uh, you can tell news, but, you know. uh, but you know what i hope it i hope it helps them out because the attendance at the uh october race has been you know well behind the 600 for for a number of years and it just seems to have dwindled you know despite being in the chase so maybe the road course will spice it up maybe folks want to come out and kind of see what that looks like you know uh right yeah, there, right the there in the heart of old, old race and country we don't see a lot of uh you know road racing yeah. down there so you know i i'm interested to see it uh I don't know. The novelty aspect of it will carry them for several years. Sure, for sure. Several yeah. years, and and of course, I you know I'll, I'll go. I mean, I'll I'll go just to see what it's all about, and uh, I think a lot of other fans will too. So we'll just have to wait and see how that experiment uh, works out. Yeah. So we're headed to uh, Talladega, which is an elimination round, and the four guys at the bottom of the order heading into Talladega are from bottom to top: uh, Ricky Stenhouse. Ryan Blaney, Brad Keselowski, and Matt Kenseth. And only one point above the cut line, or I'm sorry, three points above the cut line is Jamie McMurray. Um, again, Talladega's a wild card, man. You know, any any one of these guys can... Uh... Oh, it's you know, not it, an elimination race? No, it's not. Last they year it was. They ch- yeah, they swapped was, Kansas. Yep, so Kansas will be the elimination race. They didn't want to have Talladega since... Because of the nature of racing there, being a wild card, they did not want that to be the elimination race because it has so many, you know, big wreck and have so many ramifications. So um, they moved it back, moved it back, and swapped dates with Kansas. So, uh, but you know, Talladega is what it is. It can be, it can be a race where it can ruin a top contender's chances, and it can take someone that is on the outside looking in and boost their uh, chances. So, you know, it, it's, it's like I said, it's a crapshoot uh, every time they go there. And when we know that it's going there. So like I said, it's going to, teams are going to come up with all different strategies on how they want to want to run it. You're going to see some guys fall back and play a waiting game. Uh, they'll, they'll ride at the back, staying out of trouble and then hopefully make a charge charge at the end You'll see other guys decide to go for broke and, and, and do what they've got to do. And it's, it's going to be interesting because you've got several guys. You mentioned Jamie McMurray just being just on the inside of transferring. That's a good track for Jamie. Jamie's a good uh, good restrictor plate racer. Brad Keselowski's a great restrictor plate racer. Yeah, Brad's so, got I mean, a, couple, these are, a couple big wins at Talladega. Yeah. He sure does. And Ricky so, Stenhouse. Stenhouse yeah. 
Yeah, Stenhouse, we know he's won he's won two of the three previous plate races this year already. So a lot of guys there uh you know in in the mix to uh to do well there. And then you've got Kyle Bush, we know we know what he's capable of. So we're just gonna have to see. And you know, you got uh does uh does you know what does what does uh, Truex do? Does he does he go conservative? He's already transferred into the next round. Does he say okay, we're not going to take any chances of, of getting hurt or anything? When we're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna if it if it falls our way we'll take it, but we're not going to press the issue if it doesn't. So he's in the best. He's in a great situation right now. He already knows he's in the next. He's in the next uh, round, so really he can uh, he can go in pretty comfortable into this race, and the pressure is on the rest of these guys to do well and also not to do bad. Exactly, yeah. So, so uh, do we want to make some uh, picks for Talladega before we talk about some other little NASCAR driver news and things here? Yeah, let's do it. All right, Joey, you want the first pick? I mean, I guess so. For Talladega, yeah. <laughs> I mean... Aside from hearing Dale Jr. one last time 30 times this year, um, I'm not going to pick Dale Jr. Um, you know, I actually like Ryan Blaney. Uh, Ford seems to have a restrictor plate package that really uh, plays to their to their liking, and I don't think Ricky Stenhouse continues his reign of winning on restrictor plate, so I'm going to go ahead and say Blaney. That's All a good right. pick. That's a good pick, yeah. Now, Richard, what are your feelings um, apart from maybe that uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s restrictor plate doesn't quite restrict as much as some of the others. Um, <laughs> so just, just just putting that out there, um, I'm going to go for Brad Kozlowski. Okay, well you just stole my pick, so <laughs> so uh, Gray, who do you like? I'll go. I'll go last. You go. You always take the last pick. You go. Okay. You go. Well, I was going to go with Brad Kozlowski just based on uh, the fact that he he runs really well at Talladega. And then for some reason I had in my head it, it was an elimination round. And I would just remember, in the, I guess, the chase a couple of years ago, I believe it was 2014, where uh, it was elimination round and Brad was just about out of it. And uh, he, he won that Talladega race and kept himself alive for the next round. But I will go with Matt Kenseth for this round here. You know, with how much Brad Kozlowski gets picked on this show – you would think that he would be like a seven-time champion and have a hundred wins because my goodness, he he gets picked by everybody on this show. Yeah, I know, and and you would think the Dallas Cowboys would have won five Super Bowls in the last twenty years, but they haven't either. So, is that your way of saying that you're, is that your way of saying that maybe Brad's overrated? Huh? Is that your way of saying Brad's overrated? No, I would never say Brad's overrated. <laughs> no, you know, I heard the same thing about uh, I'd say the Dallas Cowboys thing because we were just talking about Dale Earnhardt Jr. and and it goes back to uh, good old Kevin Harvick said, well, you know, the NASCAR's <laughs> the ratings are down because their most popular driver doesn't win, and and I think, well, you know, uh, Dallas Cowboys haven't won a Super Bowl in a, in two decades, and that hasn't hurt the NFL. So, uh, but I digress. And Gray, Gray, who's your pick? I'm going to say, you know, Talladega can always come with, with with surprises, and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to stick with the with the surprise theme. I'm going to say Chase Elliott picks up his first win at, win there. Uh, Hendrick cars are notorious good at Talladega, 
and uh, I'm going to say Chase is going to position himself and and come up to win. I mean, he's in the you know he's in, he's solidly in in the playoffs, but I still think it would be somewhat of a surprise uh, if if he picks up his first win there. Yeah, and he's run so strong over the last several weeks. I mean, he's got how many runner-up yep. finishes? You know, a bunch of them. So uh, it'd be nice to see him, you know, get that monkey off his back in his first win. We, yeah. we did talk about it a couple of weeks ago now. Is he the most um, place finishes without or tied second place finishes in NASCAR now without a win? I think Kyle Larson still got him uh, got him uh, by a little bit there. Okay. Harry Gant? I thought Harry Gant had that record by the way. I was going to say Harry Gant, yeah. But I bet you, who was our guest that we had on the show the other night that had all the stats for? I bet he all the last place finishers. I bet he, I bet he could tell. Us. I bet he would. Last, know, yeah, last car, lastcar.com. Yeah. yeah. So, so now there's a story about Landon Castle that somebody wants to jump in and talk about. Yeah. So he's not. Uh, he's been announced or confirmed by front row motorsports that he's not going to be returning next year so um personally i don't know why because i i just for me i think he's one of the few guys that's still young enough he's social media savvy he's sponsor friendly he's probably everything you would want and he's ever he's like well we look at joey logano and say oh man he's he's still young he's run all these races and he's got all this potential and he's great with sponsors that's everything that technically Landon Castle is too, but he's just never been given a gotten a top tier ride. You're looking at a, a kid that's 28 years old, got 250 plus starts in the in the Cup Series right now, and just kind of running on this list here: Phoenix Racing, TRG Motorsports, Gunzelman Motorsports, Germain Racing, BK Racing, Circle Sport, Hillman Front Row. Those are the teams that he's run with throughout his. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Career in Cup. And it's kind of a sad deal because he's taken front row motorsports and consistently given them mid-20 place finishes and sometimes at places like Daytona and Talladega able to put them as high as 11th. Um, something that you typically aren't going to be able to do in front row motorsports. So, for me personally, I, I look at the free agent market and I see Danica and you know, I see Matt Kenseth, I see Bubba Wallace, and then I see Landon Castle. And I'm looking at this saying I'm either going to want Bubba or I'm either going to want Landon Castle because those are two guys. Bubba made the most of his opportunity earlier this year, the brief time that he got. Landon hasn't really been given his fair shake. He was actually a victim of the economy situation back when we had that 
problem in, in 2000, I think it was 2008. He was a Hendrick development driver, mm-hmm. went into Richmond and did really well. But because of that whole situation with the economy and GM kind of doing what they did with, with falling under, he became a victim of that. And that's what left him kind of out in the rain, so to speak. And left kind of going from ride to ride, back marker to back marker, if you will. And he's never really been given that opportunity or fair shake. I think he's someone that certainly warrants a look. If we can go and look at Alex Bowman, who I believe and have believed for a long time has had a lot of talent, there's no reason to think we couldn't do the same thing here with Landon Castle. I agree. Uh, you know, it's a shame that, that he's been cast in that journeyman kind of situation that, that he's in. But the, but the stark reality of our sport right now is, you know, if unless you can bring money to to a team, you are outside looking in. And and even with these empty rides right now, you know that we and of course we talked about the 27 being first and foremost uh, an empty ride. That's going to be filled, but it's probably going to be filled with someone who can bring a deal to the team. Uh, I agree. I think Landon Castle deserves a shot. Uh, I believe he just got – I believe he looked at his current situation. He had a ride. I'm sure Front Row would have would have desired to keep him in that in that uh, situation. But I think he kind of looked at it and said, hey, I've got to do something right, wrong, or indifferent to further my career. And it could – and he stepped away without any security, without any safety net. So unless he knows something that we don't, but um, I think at this point in time he felt like he had to do something different to 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 get a shot, you know, at the brass ring. And it may be that uh, he'll step away. He could step away from from uh, that the current ride he's in, and maybe step down into a competitive Xfinity ride and kind yep. of resurrect his career down there and get a shot. At, at getting a, a getting a cup ride, yeah, that I'll would be you, my guess. I tell you what makes sense is, is that looks like the perfect scenario for a place like JR Motorsports, who seems to do that time after you read, time. You read, you read my mind. I, I was thinking the same thing that he would be ideal, uh, an ideal driver for uh, Junior Motorsports to come in and and get some seat time in one of those cars, and he'd give it a good ride. And obviously, you know, he he'd be with a with a competitive team that would give him a shot to win and a and a shot to shine. What What's funny about this is I put out a tweet yesterday, and I hate to revert to Twitter on on anything, but I, I put something where I thought Furniture Row Racing, even though they recently announced that we haven't we already sold our charter for for the current Eric Jones team because uh, Eric Jones is going to the twenty next year, and they put out the possibility at the time, that if we need to get a charter to have a second team, we could go ahead and easily buy one. And so I kind of put out the, the tweet, like, Furniture Row Racing should really look at this. There's a lot to like about Castle and True as a team and a lineup. You want to talk about something to build around? Because clearly, the engines are the same as Joe Gibbs Racing, but clearly they're doing better jobs with their body and chassis and Furniture Row if they're out running them each and every week, it seems like. So when you, I was sitting there looking at that, and I thought it was great. What was so funny about it is that there was more tweets put out today. I think Furniture Row had to put out something else where they actually officially confirmed we were going to be a one-car team next year. So it was more than just me kind of on that Landon Castle bandwagon to Furniture Row Racing, so much so that they felt like they needed to put out a 
a little memo to everybody saying that we're we're exclusively a one car outfit next year, which yeah, that's a shame. You uh, are you suggesting that you started that rumor then? I did not probably start that rumor. I will never take credit for starting rumors on things like that. But if that's the case, then cool. But if not, then uh, yeah, I won't take credit. There you go. <laughs> next, you know, next, you know, and I, I tell you one thing. Go just briefly before we move on to, to to another topic here. You know, Charlotte is usually, and when we got to Charlotte, October, Charlotte being it's in the mecca of stock racing was always a big week for announcements in October. You know, they would you know be rollouts and announcements made for the for the upcoming year. And there was virtually nothing this 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 week other than it was announced that that uh, Matt Tift is going to drive at RCR next year. And Richard, you might can allude to that. I was out of town uh, when all that went down, but you can fill us in on that. Yeah, it was a little bit of a yeah, an, an unusual announcement, really. I don't know how many people uh, p- people saw that. One. I mean, um, you know, a chase driver there um, in you know, um, uh, you know a competitive rider in the Xfinity series uh, with, with Joe Gibbs to um, you know to swap. Um, interesting, uh, interesting concept there. Um, you know, we don't know. Is it? Is it? Um, you know, Joe Gibbs, you know, relieving him of a drive, or he made the choice to, to step over to, to RCR. Um, but there's no doubt that, you know, in the Xfinity series, our cars are probably a fair, a fair thing to say, more competitive than they are at, uh, at cup level. Um, so hopefully he can come in, uh, do a do a job. Um, I think, you know, we are an organization losing, uh, as RCR as an organization, losing at least two of our Xfinity cars, which is which is a shame because there's uh, a really good bunch of people that work on those cars. And uh, we'll we'll see where it goes from there. But uh, I think it's a good move. You know, it's always nice when uh, you get a bit of fresh blood in there and see uh, see what we can uh, what we can do with him next year. And I guess now we can finally put Charlotte to bed. Let's put Charlotte to bed, yes. So, uh... Uh, Ibsen was down there in uh, Rhode Atlanta for the Petit Le Mans, and we saw the debut of the Penske Acura cars there. Uh, they finished P3, you know, with uh, three of their IndyCar drivers there, Montoya, Castroneves, and Pagano. Uh, only one of those three are will be uh, in their, you know, full-time lineup next year. Um, the race was won by um, the, uh, Nissan DP, the Nissan team, uh, Scott Sharp, Brendan Hartley, Brendan Hartley, who's uh, been hotly rumored for the second Ganassi seat uh, in IndyCar, and Ryan Daziel. So, um, but uh, just on that note, there, you know, uh, Elio was uh, uh, there was this, you know, whole on again. Is he going to be in IndyCar next year? Is he not? Um, that's it's confirmed that he'll be with this Acura program full time next year. We'll see him at the 500. Uh, Montoya also committed to this Acura program. Um, evidently, there's not going to be a Penske car for him at the 500 but uh, roger has let him know that uh, he's free to seek another ride for the 500 now now joey you and i were talking uh, off the air earlier that this may somehow void his imsa contract or or whatnot but if he's got roger's blessing to do this um just kind of just help me understand this well that's mostly me just speculating. I'll put that out there first and foremost. I 
I personally don't see how this makes any sense on how this could happen in 2018, but yet he couldn't go out there and, and search for something similar for 2017. If that, you know, he was sitting on the sidelines all of 2017, and I just I don't understand why, you know, he couldn't go run a full season championship championship for somebody else in IndyCar instead of just on the sidelines the entire year, because clearly we've seen Elio go from full season championship straight into the Acura program because the IndyCar schedule is pretty spaced out. Um, there's not nearly as many races as say an Indy as, as a NASCAR. There's, there's 17 rounds mixed in with testing. You're maybe doing 25 to, to 30 different things throughout the entire season. So I didn't understand why in 2017 he was so held back. But in 2018, he's free to go and do what he wishes. But yet, he's committed not to a full season in IMSA. So, well, well, he's from what I understand, he's free to seek a ride for the 500. Not not for, get, not free to seek a uh, full time IndyCar gig. I guess well, I don't know. Well, yeah, exactly. I get that. But I'm saying, like, what prevented the opportunity? And I, and I gather this: you can go and race the GP and the 500 with Team Penske, or you could. You know, and or you can go get a full season commitment and with another team and potentially kiss your your IMSA opportunity goodbye. And I just it I hate it because we lost a chance to have Montoya in the in the championship for the full year, which would have been a lot of fun. Because last year he was, you know, two years ago he's blazing fast. Last year he's just a victim of a lot of bad luck, and. I just don't quite understand the economics of that situation, especially now when Penske said, we're not going to run five cars, we're going to run four. Elio's going to run the GP in the 500. He's going to be this year's Montoya, or next year's Montoya, I should say. And um, I just, yeah, I, I say this, though, their Acura program looks really stout with the announcement that Graham Rahal's also going to be doing some stuff on the endurance side right, whenever and, they're doing like the Rolex Rich, 24. And, and Ricky Taylor as well, yeah. So Yeah. IMSA champion. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a being this year Ricky Taylor so um yeah which is big because Ricky Taylor is one of those guys that if I recall it was him that was getting uh some opportunities testing an IndyCar with Penske last year at some places that was kind of an under the radar thing but I wish that some of these IMSA guys were looked at a little bit more especially one single seater ladder because too often we see these Mazda Road to Indy guys not get IndyCar opportunities and they go race in IMSA or what, you know, but I look at something like this where the Taylor brothers really haven't had the chance. They were, well, they went kind of the opposite direction. So to see the fact that they're young, they're marketable, 
uh, obviously still very quick in, in whatever you put them in. You know, I, I think it's kind of a shame that a NASCAR team doesn't look at them if possible, but at the same time, maybe they don't have interest to go NASCAR racing because they get tired of left-hand corners. But I think that, you know, through it all, to, to find a situation where one of those Taylor brothers are with Penske is brilliant. And you add that Dane Cameron to the mix with Montoya and Cashinevas, Pagano's mixed in on the endurance side as well. That is a very formidable lineup right off the bat. And they showed obviously with P3 in their debut that they're here to, they're here to do some serious business and it's going to definitely kick off solidly for them at the Rolex 24 next year. Right. And they, they pretty much were, were class to the field in, in, qualifying in the warm-up you know they had a couple of problems early in the race uh but but still rallied back to p3 so i'd just be interested to see where juan montoya ends up for the 500 if if he pursues that he hasn't said that that he's going to but he said it sure would be a lot of fun but uh heck if you were an indy car owner and had an extra chassis uh wouldn't you love to have montoya in your car you know Third Schmidt car, maybe, or seventh Andretti car, or you know what I mean. I, yeah, but, but if you're Pen- but if you're Roger, do you really like? I know you're saying that, but do you really want that? Because Montoya is a pretty big bullet, no matter where he goes. Oh, exactly. He he put- even, Montoya even said that he says, "Yeah, he's, I'm surprised Roger's going to let me do this because because uh, I'm pretty good and I might go there and beat him." So, well, uh, maybe I'm, I'm not. Maybe. I'm not convinced that Roger. May not at some point between now and May go ahead and uh, and get that fifth car for uh, JPM at Indy, but uh, you know, and I just wonder if it's a a matter of uh, chassis av- availability with the um, you know with the new package for 2018. It's just well, a thought. Ganassi's already said he's going to field how many how many uh, two cars? Just two, two yep. Yeah. Just two. I think. I think with you know, if he's got extra equipment around, I think he's a he's a definite possibility for rolling out ec- uh, additional rides for the Indy 500. I think you know we'll just have to wait and see how that goes. But I tell you, if 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 we've got this much talent out there on the sidelines and they can bring some money to the thing, we could have a really strong field. At Indy next year, and by that I mean, you know, we get back to to the bump day situation where we could have, uh, you know, 35, 36, 37 cars trying to trying to get into the field. I, I expect with teams like Andretti probably rolling out six cars, Penske rolling out the extra car for sure. Ganassi, I expect to roll out another one. There's no telling with with Ray Hall and Schmidt what might mm-hmm. come, but then you add Carlin to the Potentially, you had Yunkos to the mix. Um, you had Gabby Chavez's team to the mix. Um, name escapes me. Harding, uh, Harding Racing. Harding, Harding Racing. Um, thank you. Uh, I look at this as we're going to have a natural bump day for the first time in a while. Oh, sure, uh, I, I do I th- too. I think and, I expect thirty-five probably over under. And 20, Indy- in twenty nineteen, I expect maybe thirty-seven. Sorry, I, I wouldn't doubt. I tell you, with Indy's recent run of success. With with the race being 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 just brilliant, I, I think it's a sponsor's dream, and I think you know they don't have they won't have any trouble selling selling that race for these additional rides because the exposure's there. I mean, you get a month, you get a you get almost a seasons of exposure in one month there. So yeah, well, that's uh, that's part of why the GP 
with so critical is because that you can sell it as a package deal to a sponsor. The right. thing is, is that let's say the ind- average IndyCar season costs a team ten million dollars. You're probably looking at a third of that budget alone, maybe even almost close to half per team uh, getting hit in just the month of May because of how much is used to massage those cars out, the wind tunnel, the shaker rigs, etc., the manpower. Uh, it's there's a lot that goes into that race, even though it's in their backyard. But there's a lot of bang for that buck too in the amount of exposure during the month of May. Oh, absolutely, and TV, you know TV ratings, yeah. And, and it, the thing I like it that IndyCar is doing, there was a thing put out by Racer earlier this week. They're kind of looking at the, the virtual reality and the AR uh, versions of, of things whenever this digital era kind of continues to go forward. And I like the fact that they're the ones that are looking at, you know what, if we're not going to have all our practices on, say, a, a network then why not stream it themselves? Because IMS has their own production company. IMS Productions can they can go ahead and we can stream practices. We could do this and that. We can stream them on Twitter and Facebook and other forms. You know, doing everything through there. So they're finding ways to market themselves out to people in in a manner that kind of gets the new crowd, so to speak. This new age of of trying to get the twenty somethings. They're finding ways to do that because not everybody just sits in front of a TV anymore. Well, you remember, uh, remember last year when Alonso drove those, those you know, his practice days. They had more oh, people watching huge. the uh, practice days than the the, the uh, Phoenix race. More yeah, people yeah. watching Alonso yeah. practice than an actual yeah. race. Right. They had hits from all over the world watching yeah. the watching the practice session. You know, I I, I sat at my desk. Uh, Richard, you came. We sat, we yep. sat in my office and watched part of it. Uh, yep. You know that day, and then of course. No, we didn't. The, no, 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 we didn't. I mean, we didn't do that. No, <laughs> but, no but, you were working, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we, had, we had it running on. We had it running in the background. But, but I got you. I got you. Seriously, the, you know, yeah. Indy, they do a good job at IMS with with you know the, their packages that were streaming streaming all the practices throughout the month of May because I mean they're they're there every day and and you you can watch it. They do a great job with it. And you're right. Uh, there, there's a lot of uh, a lot they can sell going forward, particularly with you know the Indy 500 is its own animal. Let's I, face it. I, I, I want to put something out there, and this is probably the last IndyCar thing I, I care to touch on because there's not a lot we can touch on as of yet. But after the show, after we did the podcast last week, um, you know there was some announcement that came out Wednesday. The Elio Cashneva's announcement was one of those that we kind of missed out on whenever the show went to air. Uh, the following day. So I kind of wanted to just do a brief scope on, on Elio, you know, 20 years of the car. I know he never got that championship, but you know, he's still on that quest for number four, tying J Foyt and Rick Mears. I think that for me personally, he's kind of the era when I started watching in car racing, which I know is a lot later than some people on the show, but, um, all things in consideration, you know, the late 90s, the, the 96, 97, when Elio started to come up, uh, paying attention and, and gravitating towards his personality from from then all the way to now. It's just amazing to see how he's grown into to a guy who's got 30 wins, 50 pulls, you know, four, four second-place finishes, two of those to Scott Dixon. When you really think about this, I know he's not going to go down as a guy that won a championship, but I think Scott Dixon said it best to me. Uh, last month in Sonoma, he's like, you know, in order to win the championship, you know, you have to go through him. And 
to me, in my book, I mean, that kind of that says enough right there to say that that guy is certainly one of the champions of the sport, even though he never claimed an Astro Cup. As, you know, and we look at we look at Dale Jr. as, as NASCAR's most popular driver. I, I, for years, I have I have looked at Elio as as, as IndyCar's most popular driver. Would, would it, you agree to that? I would. I think it'll be interesting to see where who the next ambassador is you know because yeah. james james hinchcliffe has got this awesome personality and then obviously joseph newgarden a young american who just claimed the championship and is somebody that honestly when you see what he does he's over here instagramming about playing forza and challenging people to come beat him i mean so he's he's the common gamer kid of today but he still mm-hmm. gets in a race car and is as competitive as ever marketable as all hell and you know I think when when you really look at modern day Rick Mears in some respects, um, I think when when we see where this sport is going, the decisions are being made are the right decisions. The way they're going about it is methodical, and I think that it'll be interesting to see you know who takes that mantle for the next ambassador. Is it Hinchcliffe? Is it maybe a Graham Rahal? Is it a New Garden? Or is it somebody maybe that's an Indy Lights that hasn't quite risen up to the ranks yet? I think that's going to be. Uh, very interesting, and I think that that DW, the, excuse me, I think the 2018 Universal Era is going to have a lot to say about who's going to be on that springboard moving into the next 10 years of the sport. Absolutely, Whoever yeah. steps into Elio's role, it, it, you know, is going to have some big shoes to fill because Elio has that charisma, you know, that that just attracts people to the sport. Absolutely. Okay, well, with that being said, we had a Formula One race in Japan that was on at the middle middle of the night Saturday. I know, <laughs> I know, I was up watching it. Uh, Joey, Richard, I'm sure you guys were burning the midnight oil, brewing a pot of coffee, yep. watching that race too. So uh, it's uh, my normal time. That's right. Yeah, you're you're a night <laughs> owl. Yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah, Lewis Hamilton, a uh, dominating performance again, uh, shared the podium with the two Red Bull cars. Uh, Kimi was fourth. Vettel. Fifth. Fifth. Vettel, who's fourth? Lotus. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it's Lotus okay. We'll let that slide. We'll let that slide. You, you, you got to let, you let me slide on the uh, Colin Talladega elimination round, man. I'm just like, I should, I should prepare more for this show. <laughs> <laughs> so... All right, and, nothing, uh, nothing and Vettel was way down the finishing order. So, uh, with no further ado, Joey, Richard, talk us through the Japanese Grand Prix. I think that um, for the third piece in a row, we are watching Ferrari implode. Uh, you look at Singapore; obviously, was kind of a self-inflicted from the from a driver's point of view. Um, but from an engineering standpoint, we've seen a mechanical standpoint, actually, more than anything. We've seen the last two races, Malaysia and now in Japan, where the cars have been hit in some way. And for a while, it was, what was it, cracked headers was, was the apparent problem in Malaysia. And now we've got faulty spark plugs, and they, they had a lead up to the grid. They couldn't get to Vettel spark plug to change it out. They thought they did. Uh, the newscasters thought they did, and then uh, we find out later that they actually didn't get a chance to change it out. It would have taken too much time. He got five laps in before he retired, and, you know, second retirement next to Carlos Sainz, who retired on lap one. Hamilton wins a 59-point lead with four rounds to go. You're going to Coda, which is Lewis Hamilton's playground. Vettel's got one of those wins in five races, but Hamilton has the other four. 
there's 100 points on the table. You're going to need a DNF out of Hamilton because even if he finishes fourth the rest of the season and Vettel wins out, I think Hamilton still claims his championship. I think that's how the points situation is right now, and it's that bleak. Um, this is going to be tough for anybody to overcome, let alone somebody that's having mechanical issues at Ferrari, which it, I, Richard, I'm sure you're with me on this one. I'm stunned to see the collapse of what's happened since the summer break. Like I, I just don't understand where these things happen. I'm actually kind of shocked that Sergio Marchione, the CEO of Ferrari hasn't started um, imploding and taking people's jobs at this point. Well, they have, they've had today. I see they've highlighted the, um, start again. They've, hired uh, a new quality control director um, to, who's been involved in the, who's been in that Fiat uh, family for a number of years now. Um, it's often a an area which in motorsport is often overlooked, um, the concept of quality control. You're reacting to situations so fast that unfortunately, you know, these things at times do get overlooked and that's no excuse it shouldn't be that way um you know some pretty high up people within the ferrari organization will be asking some pretty serious questions about what's gone on and and they've reacted and they've reacted quickly Uh, gone are the days where you know out of a out of a 16 season or 16 race season if you finished 10 races you were you know you'd had a good season i mean now out of a nine 20 races and you've got to be finishing 18, 19 races. You can't have, you know, multiple DNFs, especially due to mechanical reasons, because nobody else does. It's it's such a high level. These teams aim for 100% mechanical reliability. Do, do you think? I don't mean to cut you off, but do, do, you, do you think like because we've seen these issues happen in Vettel? It happened in FP3 in Malaysia. It happened after qualifying for. Uh, Kimi in the lead up to the Malaysian Grand Prix and then now we've got the spark plug issue there's a part of me that wonders if they're just really trying to turn up the power well, in qualifying mode and that's what's leading to these cracked headers uh, to, to these issues like, like the spark plug issue is obviously just kind of a weird situation but trying to turn up that power so much because they do lack a little bit maybe in the chassis at, at places like Malaysia and places like Japan, because we all know that that what Mercedes has is just ridiculous. Yeah, I, it's, it's a disability. It's um, I'd be lying if say it wasn't. I think that's definitely a case of that. Um, obviously, uh, a little bit of what um, is maybe a little bit more concerning about this is because these um, Engines are restricted now in terms of the modifications that the teams can carry out throughout the year. I mean, gone are the days where you could have a new engine specification two or three weeks in a row. You know, the the, uh, the changes they made are all controlled and mandated by the FIA, so it does limit that. So these potentially are new parts that are failing. As you say, it could potentially be that they're, they're failing parts which have expired or they're pushing them too hard, which you really hope isn't the case, but it, there must be some reasoning behind it. Um, but I mean, obviously Singapore was a, um, you know, a driver issue and a race that they should have dominated and won. Um, but as you say, you look at Malaysia and Japan, maybe there are events where they are down on power, but then you look at, I, I, I struggle with the concept of the power issue at Malaysia because you look who won the race. Um, you know, you, uh, Christian Horner's on, on his 
jumps on his soapbox again. And his his latest thing to rant about is that I don't have the the superpower qualifying mode that Mercedes and Ferrari engines do. I, I do agree with that. I think that that car is just aerodynamically better fit. I mean, you look at what he did through through the first two sectors, Max Verstappen at Japan, and I and you see how much he got kept in the in the last sector. I think that's yeah. the lead about that aerodynamic package. Were they running more down course? I mean, yeah, that's certainly. <laughs> this I, is I, one of the things that a lot of. A lot of people get very, very spun out on the concept of that the Renault engine is slow and that, the, the, you know, the Honda engines are slow. And I'm sure there's a little bit of it there. But then you also go down the point of the teams aren't stupid. They know that they're power limited rather than aerodynamic limited. So what they will do is they will play up to their aerodynamic strengths and make a handle better in situations where they know they can take advantage of it. I mean, they will do simulations and 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 the like for hours and now, you know, the supercomputers that these teams have access to now to do to do simulations on car setup is, is immense and they will know exactly where their optimum setup is to optimize the tools they have available to them. So it may not be that the Renault engine is purely second a lap slower or whatever Christian Horner likes to comment on. And the Honda engine's two seconds a lap slower. The, the, the McLaren wants to comment on it. It may be not as bad. It's just the teams know they can't get 100% out of it. So they will back it off and try and utilize other areas of the uh, of the track to, to minimize the loss. Yeah, seeing the power that Renault was pushing with Nico Hulkenberg for, for the early stages of that race, I can't say that Renault is that much down on power because he was running no. top six for a good while. Um, so again, that sort of then that does put into question, you know, some of Christian Horner's argument. Um, obviously, in qualifying, there may be there may be something to that this qualifying mode, but uh, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that you need to, um, you know, you know, especially in motorsport, you don't air your dirty laundry in public. It, um, he's he sounds like the old Ferrari boss, doesn't he? Like, oh, we're we're not as fast as everybody, so we need more power. Um, yes, um, it, it, it's sort of and this again. We, I know I've mentioned this on the um, on, on the show before, but the um, the guy that does the uh, sort of pit road uh, pit lane interviews for uh, NBC uh, when they cover, I can't think of his name now, but I think Buxton. Buxton yeah, yeah, very very good. He, he asked uh, Christian Horner a question of so so what um, you know what percentages of your recent troubles are Renault's fault and he said oh eight percent of Renault's fault twenty percent of ours oh good so, so when you won those four world championships in a row what percentage of that was Renault's fault as well <laughs> uh, and he, he was a little bit oh well I, it, it, uh, yeah um, so <laughs> it's a team game and sometimes you have to work on this together as a team you have a commitment and have an agreement to work together with your engine supplier there's only three engine suppliers realistically out there that i mean in all fairness there's only one engine supplier that red bull can go to ferrari aren't going to supply them mercedes no. certainly aren't going to supply them Honda probably would have supplied them but i don't think red bull were prepared to make that jump just yet so in reality they've only got one choice and they can turn around and say, oh, we're going to pull out a Formula 1 and all that stuff. So, well, great. Okay, if that's the way you want to do it, fine. But yeah. get on with it and make it work. There's enough smart people within Renault and within Red Bull that they can make that relationship work. And you look at the gains that the Renault Works team have made this year. 
Um, you know, I know they've been recruiting heavily, and obviously they've put a lot of um, effort into their aerodynamic performance. Um, but you know, their star, you know, Nico Hulkenberg starting to, um, and in all fairness, for most of the season they've been a one car team. Yeah. Um, you know, they're starting to push up there, and I think when Carl Sainz gets on board with them next year, well, Dakota. Yeah, um, well, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, this year. Yeah, um, indeed. Yeah, and of course. I mean, it, it, what Red Bull have to be very, very careful of, and Honda have to be very careful. I mean, sorry, McLaren have to be very careful of it. Don't, you know, keep shouting about how bad the Renault engine is, because then when somebody comes up along and beats you in a Renault engine, it makes you look really stupid. I don't want to look forward to Dakota until next week, because obviously the race, there's no F1 races. But kind of furthering back on Japan, uh, Esteban Ocon really impressed me, jumped up to P3 at the start and really held Pat until, you know, the chassis and, and just kind of the wear of the race wore down that Force India to where he kind of trickled down to sixth on the grid, um, where Botas and Ricardo kind of came up and, and did what they did. Um, I got to give, uh, I know y'all are probably going to complain favorites here, but I got to give an attaboy to Kimi Raikkonen because he, he went off track uh, in the opening lap, battling side by side with Hulkenberg, falls back to fifteenth, and same tires that went off track, same tires that kind of got scuffed up. Started on softs when everybody else was on super softs, so not the not the ideal tire necessarily to start off with for pace, and just methodically makes his way all the way up to fifth. I'm a little surprised when they converted to super softs, he didn't get higher up in the order to maybe challenge the the tail end of the podium there just because of the pace he had on the softs. But nevertheless, given how crappy of a day it was for Ferrari, that was something to salvage because for two straight weekends, he didn't even get a chance to finish a lap. And um, he gets here, and of course, Ferrari's uh, one of Ferrari's guys came over the radio and says, okay, Kimi, I'll clear to push. And he's like, I'm pushing all the time. So, you know, anytime they need him need him to get a result, anything, put him in a pinch he always seems to put the drive together not bad for a 37 year old in a sport full of 20 somethings that this is all going to a younger deal so a shout out to him Valdery notice i really don't know what's going on ever since he signed that deal last year or, or last month that he hasn't put in quite the same results that were up to par and i don't know if that's because mercedes putting all their eggs in the hamilton basket now since the summer break but and also and these are all things we can throw to you, Richard, is um, are we running into a coming of age with Max Verstappen? He's gone from teen sensation to now this old and wise 20-year-old who puts <laughs> together a first and second place. And almost, if not for lap traffic, and that is something I wanted to touch on, was this damn virtual safety car. But if not for, for that situation at the end, he might have been able to bag Hamilton there and get his third victory, his second in, in back-to-back race weekend. So... There's there's a plethora of topics for you, but I, overall, I mean, um, what do you what do you, what do you, what do you take away from from this whole situation this weekend? Um, remember what you said. I'll go for the most recent one first. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I just no, 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 it's all good. No, 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 no it's all good. Um, on the uh, the situation with, uh, I believe it's Alonso that blocked um, opp- and well, and, and Massa, who's that's Massa. He did it at Russia too when Vettel was trying to catch. Yeah, I think um, I think the situation with um, Alonso 
Verstappen even turned around and said that he had blistering on his tyres, and even if he'd been if he hadn't been held up, he wouldn't have been able to get past. And you you have to also consider one of the one of the charms now, and and one of the great things about circuit like Suzuka is it is an old circuit. It is a classic, for want of a better word, on the Formula One calendar now. And you look at the track, you know, especially that stretch from like the hairpin through to the spoon corner. It's a very narrow piece of track. You you wouldn't want to go side by side with somebody there. Um, so I did a little bit of that, but over the course of, of the season or over time, I, I think what goes around comes around, and I, I don't think Monzo deliberately blocked him. I don't think he deliberately got in the way, and I don't think from the comments that Max made post-race, um, and certainly Christian Horner hasn't turned around and said anything which, um, you know, that, that sort of silence is very loud on that front. Um, I, I don't think that Alonso's supposed block was a was a huge issue. Um, on the, the the point you made about uh, Verstappen coming of age, um, I think there's been a few people who have been a little bit disappointed with some of his performances uh, earlier in the season. And you had that string of, of poor results, both reliability and um, running road. Um, running into his teammate at Hungary, sure. Yeah, sure. those sort of... Um, and you're going to get that. You are going to get that, no matter what. I mean, when most guys are running in sort of Formula 3 and GP3 and F2, you know, he's up there in one of the probably six prime seats in Formula One, he's doing something right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, again, the kid's going to make mistakes because he is a kid. I mean, he's... But when I look at this, though, like, because everybody was so quick at first to, to point blame with the Singapore crash that, that both Ferraris were a victim of, uh, were so quick to point to Verstappen. And, and Lord knows I wanted to do it, too, um, because of this, he's notoriously big about opening lap incidents right so yeah but and he did he, he did take out kimmy as well so that's yeah there's a history there's a definitely history with him and kimmy but I, I look at this situation though and when he when he talks to to buxton when he talks to other people you see the how his interview process goes and he looks a lot more poised than he did maybe prior to the summer break um yeah less oh. rattled for sure yeah, there, there was that, and again, I, I think it's it's a very difficult um, thing to do. I mean, I just never mind a foreign language, but you have to understand a lot of the times that these guys, especially the young guys going through, that they're being interviewed. You know, they've just come out of a very tense and very very stressful situation, sometimes for two hours in incredibly uncomfortable conditions, and then they're being asked high pressure questions in something that isn't their native language. Uh, it can potentially come across a little bit. Not quite right, I think is, and that's not trying to defend some of the comments that some of the drivers make at times. But I think sometimes people miss that and underestimate that. Um, I know that uh, you know it must be for you know when when you've, especially if you've just been involved in an accident, you've, you've you know you, you've had an accident with the driver and you're um, you know he thinks it was your fault, you think it was his fault, sort of thing, and uh, you know you're trying to get that across in a calm and accurate manner and as I say you're not speaking your natural language that can be difficult but I think you are right I think and also hey at the end of the day the car's performance has improved and his performance has improved as well so I'm sure those things do go hand in hand when you look at his interviews and the way he carries himself in public um, 
kind of moving moving forward on something that's kind of on the Verstappen yep. subject. And this is the the one thing that really ticked me off about the race, and it, it kind of go into that virtual safety car situation. A few years ago, the reason this virtual safety car came into play was a major reason that was because of the Bianchi crash at Suzuka. Now, that said, and, and there was people that make this argument that say, well, it's going to, if we mandate a regular safety car, it takes too long to bunch everybody back up and to get everything situated and, you know, it's going to take more laps. I look at this and I, I think to myself that that's nonsense. I think that if you are the FIA, if you're Charlie, you can come over whoever's leading the race radio and tell them to slow down to this or tell the crews to whatever mode they need to be in under that rule to bunch everybody up so by the time they come around for the next lap the safety car does pick them up because when you look at virtual safety car they're not backing down to the exact same piece they would behind a safety car um no. it's so and they're trying to manage a gap with between each other and the thing that yeah. really i look at sunday it was openly said that the two different virtual safety cars that we had that Hamilton gained time under the safety car on second place by a collective five point something seconds. Yeah. And number one, shouldn't a guy be penalized for that? Because we would penalize somebody else in the running order by something, but yet the leader is able to put an extra five seconds collectively, which could have decided the race. Honestly, at that point, when you look at the fact that this race was decided by roughly eight-tenths of a yep. second, and so there's that issue that I've got with it, is you're going to make the drivers manage a gap when they, let's be honest, they don't have, they've got all these awesome gauges on their steering wheel that are hundreds of thousands of dollars, but they don't actually have anything to tell them the differential between car ahead car behind. This isn't a video game. So when you look at that, you can't leave it in the driver's hand to throttle back or throttle up. If you can get somewhere, <laughs> tell the safety car to manage that. I think that we're going to run into a situation where you could actually log the laps a little bit less, make it three, because you also had a car that was still in a very unfortunate circumstance with, with Lance Stroll kind of being up there on the offset S's. Um, and I, I think to myself, we're still using cranes, as if we didn't learn that enough from the Bianchi situation. So that was another issue of why why are we going that speed when we got a crane out there? Did we not learn our lesson? And then lastly, and, and the less important of it, in, in essence, compared to the crane situation, would be the lapped cars don't become an issue of taking blue flags because they're clearly Massa and Alonso are battling for position whenever Hamilton's coming up through there. And you're going to ask Alonso and Massa, they're battling for the last point spot, very valuable for McLaren at this point in the season. You're going to ask them to to kick to the side, and you're going to expect Massa to not try to pull a little bit of a gap and not pull over because that's his job. I think by doing all that, A, it, it was less spectacular for the fans because there was kind of a situation where you just didn't allow the chance for an attack uh, full on a proper fight. And the other end of that is you really didn't give Alonso a proper fight with Massa whenever he was catching him. So, And this happened in Russia, too. So this is something that's come up a few times this year, and I would hope that we would find a way to resolve it. I don't think the virtual safety car is the answer. I think that it was a nice idea. It was good to see how it worked. But if Japan's going to continue to use cranes over at Suzuka and they're going to be out on track, I think there is no way in hell we should run these cars even at half throttle, with especially in a place like that. 
when it was so close to the track. Um, it just yeah. doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, my, my understanding, and it's a very vague, it's interpretation of the stewards at the race, or waiting, I guess, is, is the so where the book stops. But the consensus is if the caution, or the, sorry, the, the, the safety car is caused by a vehicle that is on the track, such as Shaw saw with uh, Ericsson at um, Singapore when he crashed on the bridge there. If the, the physically the car is on the track or marshals will be very, very close to the track edge, then it is a safety car. And the reason they'll do that is to give the track workers two minutes where they know no cars will be passing. And that is then deemed to be unfair on the race leader. If they've built up a 20-second lead and then suddenly it comes back down to zero because somebody's run out of hell. And I understand that aspect of it. The virtual safety car is, again, my interpretation of it, my understanding of it, is it's to be deployed when um, you know a car is not directly in the line of fire from a car spinning out and, and injuring potentially mechanic um, marshals or themselves as we saw as you say with Gilles Bianchi those years ago um, the situation with Lance Stroll's car he was on the inside corner he was on the inside of one of the S's at the start of the um, lap I, I don't think I've ever seen a car in that position before and the only reason he was there was because of a mechanical failure rather than a him losing control of the car I, I think that the point at when the virtual safety car is released and how drivers react to that is very difficult because they're trying to maintain those gaps, but then there's obviously going to be one point where you release the driver from virtual virtual safety car and he could be in the middle of an acceleration zone and then you have somebody who's in the middle of a deceleration zone and it's how do you react to that? That's the hard thing. Um, So you have a balance there. Do you potentially unfairly unfairly penalize the leader who's built up a lead and then that suddenly gets taken away from him or do you try and neutralize the effect of um that caution or the, the sorry the safety car um it is a difficult thing and is there a perfect answer probably not um i will say that I will say though that that verstappen was only 1.4 seconds behind when that virtual safety car got in play and whenever we went back to the the start of this thing, he was 3.3 back so in, yeah. in, rea- in reality you're not really penalizing hamilton that much because we know that whenever we have situations where you have the, the restarts after a safety car that you're probably going to be within six tenths to about 1.2 seconds behind going all the way down into turn one no, so, for sure. No, totally agree. There, totally agree. Um, and I, I guess the days of you know drivers pulling out these twenty-second leads that you've seen in the uh, in in the past are, are probably gone. You know, you'll now see a driver get a two or three-second lead, and he'll just go into protect mode and, and keep that that gap. Um, but it, yeah, it, 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 how do you please everybody? You can never have a perfect scenario. Um, and I'm not, think, and I'm not clamoring for F1 to throw cautions. NASCAR throws cautions to no. every little touch of a wall that happens, and I don't think that would ever get to that point. But I, I think, in terms of trying to, especially with Liberty Media kind of at the helm and trying to market the sport, 
with especially when when I look at the fighting that's being put on, like NASCAR's trying to make their shows better, IndyCar shows are what they are, which is which is really solid in their own right, and close racing where everything's within a second of each other. I think that this is a chance for F1, which is supposed to be the premier of motorsport, the pinnacle. Yeah. A chance for, for just a proper we – we've been asking and clamoring for a proper fight. And you give us these new rules and these new cars, and you, I don't understand why we get put into a situation like what happened on Sunday. I mean, potentially, then you get the accusation, you know, you get the accusation of – it is manipulating the race. You have a safety car situation, and, you know, you could say, well, you know, if, if that if – that, Guy hadn't crashed. You know, Verstappen would never had an opportunity to attack, and the only reason he's ever been in that position is because of somebody else's issue. Um, but, you know that's the way it is in every form of motorsports. A, a caution flag generally is brought out when there's an issue on the racetrack. You know, we 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 can we debate some of NASCAR cautions, but typically <laughs> when when there's an obstruction on the racetrack that is, that is that is 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 a hazard. Let's put it that way. When there is hazard on a legitimate hazard on the racetrack, the cautions come out, and it and, and it, it, it it's a way to re and it should re, it should be accepted. It's going to re rack the field. I don't care what the leader has has driven away and built it up. It's just part of the race. It's beyond anybody's control, and it adds an element to the race. I think you've got you know. That's just the way it is in racing. I think it's a part of uh, that that adds to the overall event. You know what I'm saying? Not a contrived caution. But, yeah, but, but, that, that, problem, but that's 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 American racing. We're used to the yellow bunching the field. Uh, you know, but, but, yeah. Formula One has for years strived to maintain the gap you've built up. They, they, they say you've earned that. You shouldn't lose that in a caution. I mean, Joey, back before we had. Uh, uh, safety cars or virtual safety cars in Formula One. They they used to have uh, just a red flag and they stopped the race to clean something up. And then you would have to try to watch this really confusing race where they use aggregate times. Right. They um, added. Well, yeah. At the end so of the you event. said, well, this guy was five seconds ahead, right? But now he's been passed. But theoretically, even though this guy is leading on the field. Right, he still yeah, because, might maintain because, a three-second lead. Because he's not five yeah. seconds ahead, but, the other guy. But, and, and there was actually a race, and I believe it involved uh, a Nelson Piquet and Alan Prost, where the uh, the one the guy that actually crossed the finish line second won the race because yeah. he didn't he didn't bridge that aggregate time gap. And that's uh, for the spectator, that's got to be confusing. But I uh, yeah. but I understand the sportsmanship of. You built up that lead, you earned it. So yeah, but uh, I mean, it's just the difference between I, European but, European racing and um, American racing. But but here's the thing, they evolved and they learned from that and they grew into something where now we have safety cars and virtual now virtual safety cars. And my point being though is like number one, Formula One had no business racing in typhoon conditions in 2014. That race should have been called either early or it should have been called for another day. Uh, we should have mandated things a little bit differently. And I'm sure everybody that was involved in the sport for that during that time period agrees with that. And here's the part that scares me though, is that we can't, especially of all places at Suzuka where, you know, this is where the tragedy happened. We are three years later. If we can't learn from that. Then everything that happened in 2014 is senseless. 
because we don't have common sense to evolve with safety regulations. You want to talk about halo devices or, and, and put a halo on the car and because it's supposed to deflect a bouncing tire and all that crap, that's fine. If you're going to do that, then maybe mandate it properly or we don't have a stranded car literally like on the inside of a racetrack with cranes. And that's we all know that that is really the biggest issue with what happened with the Bianchi situation. It wasn't that he went off course. It's the fact that he hit a crane that was on course. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, a simple something. This is just something that yeah. we should learn from. Absolutely, yeah. We I just think so. we need to be better. But I think you also have to take a little bit into consideration the circumstances of what we saw at the weekend. You know, if the if the, the situation you're referring to is that Lance Stroll situation, um, again, you know, to my point earlier, where Bianchi went off was I think it was turn five at Suzuka. Yeah. You know, that is a fast left-hand bend. He went off on the right-hand side of the corner, aquaplaned, um, and hit something on the outside of the corner. You have to have... Where you have a situation with no passing under the safety car or a virtual safety car, under what concept or what um, scenario of events would you have a situation where at reduced speed, which is limited... Would you have a car being even remotely close to the marshals working on Stroll's car? If it was on the outside of the car where, yeah, you can slide up, I could understand that they'd look to put a full safety car out and limit the potential of that happening. Um, but where it was, I think that the the opportunity for, uh, for a, a collision there was extremely low. And I'm struggling to understand in my mind how another car could get into that situation in dry, low-speed conditions. Where, where I'm coming from with this is, A, we don't know. Stroll's had a mechanical issue, so who's to say that another freak accident doesn't happen? Because we all agree that the Bianchi incident was kind of a, a freak deal. But let's not forget that in the Bianchi situation, there was already a, a yellow flag for that sector, and it was taking those corners at your discretion. The same concept of a virtual safety car where Hamilton is taking things in his discretion in terms of pace uh, and are, widening that gap. Well, there are limits, though. My understanding with the virtual safety car is they have the drivers have deltas which they have to hit. Um, and th th there's, there's timing that they have to, to adhere to. Um, so the opportunity for somebody to try and gain, I mean, the idea is you don't gain or lose ground on it. Uh, obviously, we've seen this weekend that maybe it's not a perfect scenario, but you're not going to have something. Now, Bianchi was at pretty much racing speed when he lost control because he was trying to catch up to the safety car pack. Um, it, in this scenario, I, I struggle to see that that would have occurred. Let me let me leave this subject with this and ask you this. Do you believe that by removing a virtual safety car and going to a regular safety car with the definition Deficit because Verstappen was gaining, but with that deficit, with the lack of not having the by having a proper fight potentially and not having lap cars involved and allowing Alonso and Massa to also have their own proper fight, do you believe that by calling in, calling out the virtual safety car and calling out a regular safety car would have made this race more compelling at the very end of this fight? If I put my fan hat on, yeah. I'm going to say yes. 
because basically it's going to re-rack the field. You know, if you have a, if you have a condition on the track where you need either, you know, virtual safety or real safety car, whatever, there's a hazard on the track, deploy the safety car, freeze the field where it is right there. There's no overtaking. Everyone slows down when the, when the full course caution comes out. It's going to bunch the field till they get it cleaned up. People can go to pit road. They can get tires. They can do whatever. They come back on the track where they come back on the track. When the track's cleaned up, throw the green flag and let them, let them go back at it. From a fan standpoint, if I put my fan's hat on, that's what I want to see. You know, I, I understand it from a sporting perspective because certainly everybody wants to keep their advantages that they have and what they build up. But I just think that we're also here to put on a show. Right. And it's so natural. It's, it's a natural the, the way a natural race unfolds. Obviously, some Formula One races are going to go start to finish with no incidents at all. And there's going to be that. But there are going to be other races where there are going to be spins and crashes and things like that. That's a given in any form of motorsports, and I think that's that's what how the that that is the the the, the how the race unfolds. Every, so, each and every race is different. So Gray's giving you sort of um, you know fan hat. I'm going to give you now the sort of I don't want to use engineer, but the you know the 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 the, the work you know that somebody who's involved in the sport hat on. But they will say the car hat. Yeah, I mean if you're. If you're investing hundreds of millions of dollars a year, you don't want luck to come into it. And it will do to a certain extent in motorsport. Yes, I understand that part of it. But you know that if you develop the best car for that event, are a mistake of your own, you want to, you should be winning that race. And the one is very cut and dry like that. It's not like NASCAR where there's a you know, large number of variables at a race weekend. Formula 1 is very, very cut and dry. If you go out there and you develop the best car with the best driver with the best strategy, you should win that race. And I agree. I'll be let me, this way you look at let it. me put a wrinkle in here, though. Like, so if that's Hamilton and that's Mercedes, because he's a four-time champion, three-time champion, how a driver in your discretion after the safety car is deployed, you have this or goes back in, you've got this certain range that you can decide to, to hit go on. You know, it's kind of the NASCAR effect, so to speak, with this whole championship playoff. You know, it's supposed to bring out the best, and it's you're still going to yeah. have the best driver win. Whatever, I disagree with all that. But in a proper yeah. situation, in a, in a race situation, with what you just described, how does that hinder Hamilton or Mercedes if they are in fact the best drive? They shouldn't have any because problem walking away the, because it's increasing the number of variables. You look in NASCAR. When is it? You know, when is the caution most likely to happen? When another one's just come out. Uh, I mean, you saw in Charlotte last weekend, I think there was two or three cautions that came out within a couple of laps of the previous caution. And again, you want to reduce, it's all about reducing variables. And, and this is a variable you want to try and reduce. And I understand it from a fan perspective. But on the flip side of that, one of the things growing up in Europe and watching European racing, you know, NASCAR is almost mocked because somebody drop a sandwich wrapper and they throw a caution out. You know, it was a gimmick. It was like, oh, you know. And, that's, that's, and I agree, that's NASCAR's fault because they have, they have, they have done this. But you know, I'm talking about, you know, basically, you're talking about a, 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 a um, from a business standpoint side. They, you know, basically, that, yeah, you want to reduce the number of variables that that can happen so that your that your plan as you produce it. 
goes forth through that race and you, you don't have to worry about anything that it's going to go as you plan that race, as you laid it out, the green flag goes and you run that run the two hours or, or the or the advertised distance without issue. Yeah, I understand that. But there again, you're selling, you know, like Joey's saying, you're selling tickets to it and you've got fans. And of course you are. Of course you are. But from a from a team owner's perspective, a Formula oh, yeah. One is like a business. It's a business. Output. It's a business. It's an output. Yeah. That's the product which you sell. And, right. you know, it's like, you know, if you're making cell phones or whatever, you know, you put in the most R&D into your cell phone. You make it the best performing product out there with the best advertising and the best whatever else you want to call it. You want to sell the most of the products. If you make the best racing car, you want to win the race. Right. I, got, I got you. I, I'm not debating that. I just, you know, like you said, it's just, it's just the, the, the two different ways of looking at it. And we're used to, to what we've grown up, grown up with, you know, in American racing. And that goes all the way back to, to the, the short tracks where we grew up on the, the Saturday night short tracks where we ran, you know, 50 lap features in either a, a full body stock car or open wheel sprint car. You know, that's, that's the way the races were ran when there was a, when there was an incident on the track, the caution came out, the field bunched up, mess was cleaned up, the green flag came out again, and everybody went racing, and the chips fell where they may, you know. And that's just kind of, I guess, just two different, uh, two different views of, uh, of of the sport. Yeah, and you can appreciate both. I mean, no, no doubt about it. I, now I remember what Frank was talking about when they had the. Uh, the aggregate uh, timing that they used to do. And it was confusing, but you understood why they did it. Because the guy, the team had gone out and built up built up a lead. He shouldn't have to surrender that, you know, because of of, of incident on the track. Just, you know, a, a different form of motorsports, basically. And each to it, you know, each to its own, so to speak. Yeah, like I say, yeah, this uh – been a great uh, topic to talk about and, and there's no easy answer for it there really is no easy answer for it uh, hopefully formula one will look into it and and come up with something that's palatable to both the competitors and the fans um, in the next couple of years so formula one we've got a couple of weeks off and then we're heading to joey your home state of austin texas for the u.s grand prix um you, you planning on heading out to the racetrack that is the plan. All waiting right. On, uh, yeah. Waiting on the FIA. Good times. Good times. Yeah. So, uh, well, man. With that being said, um, let's uh, let's just run around the table real quick because uh, uh, we are in a green white checker with a red flag, um, and uh, let's get a final thought from everybody for the week uh, before we reconvene next week. And uh, I'll start with you, uh, uh, Richard. Uh, final thought. I mean, what do we? Um was um, a rather amusing video that got shared on Facebook today of uh, an RC face yeah. uh, <laughs> trying to depict. Um, uh, I, I saw that one. Uh, that was that was brilliant. It it could very very well turn out to be like that. Um, as much as um, you know, as much as super speedway racing can be fun to watch, it can. Uh, it from a team's point of view, working in the industry, it's they're terrible. They really are terrible. <laughs> yeah, from the guy you who know, got to fix the cars, right? Well, yeah, because you know what, you you put all the time and effort into you know wind tunnel work and engineering work to make these cars perform, you know, well in draft and well out in clean air, and all that. forget it, just turn up and race. Oh man, Gray, what's your final thought for the evening? 
Well, Talladega, you know, wild card shootout like it always is, unpredictability, uh, and and certainly exciting. So we're uh, we'll have a lot to talk about when we uh, reconvene next week. Fantastic, Joey. What one final one final uh, rant out of you? Yeah, um, we didn't get a chance to to go into it because of how long we went into the virtual safety car ramp. But um, I kind of implore Honda to put Pierre Gasly in that Super Formula race. He's second in the championship, half a point back. With Toro going to Honda next year, it makes all the sense in the world that Honda would want to have him kind of be the centerpiece to build around for that program. And I think that it would also be good because maybe we can get somebody doing a one-off that we're not expecting in, uh, at Coda. I think it would be a proper thing for, for Gasly to have a championship shot. And um, it'd be kind of unique to see the, the storylines that could build out of whoever gets this one-off opportunity at Coda. Yes, and from what I understand, it will not be uh, Alexander Rossi, as was rumored. Rossi's people came out and said, no, there's no merit to that rumor. So, um, But uh, my, my final thought for the evening is, you know, we didn't touch on it, um, but the uh, the uh, testing of the 2018 IndyCar is now out of the series' hands and, bat- and into the team's hands now. And uh, the Penske guys were uh, out there at Road America, um, you know, running running the new 2018 setup. And uh, uh, my buddy Simon Pagano shared a bunch of photos on his Twitter and on his Facebook page. So I'm just – and he is uh, – his first time in the car, and he's just blown away and thinks it's the – step in the right direction um it just it just seems like the the new uh 2018 indycar package is is just what the doctor ordered it and the more and more drivers that uh that get behind the wheel of it are all kind of on the same page with that so really excited to, for for indycar 2018 next year now indycar's schedule will be released tomorrow um which by the time our show airs it will be have been released earlier in the day today we don't know what it is but uh, we'll talk about that next week um but until then i want to thank you gray joey and richard uh love talking to you guys every single week um seth i know you're off for the week um good luck to you and to uh Hoobazoo radio network thank you very much thank you to iHeartRadio, itunes and um thank you to all you folks that tune in and listen talk to you in a week Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.